everybody, welcome back to another episode of You're Going to Die, the podcast. I'm going to keep it simple here to start us off. Lots of life has happened since the last episode, and all apologies for not getting you an episode sooner, but you know how life is right now. We're all just trying to either get something done at all, or trying not to get anything done at all. I mean, I feel like that's really the conflict right now for me sometimes, but whatever. I'm not going to talk at length about the podcast and how it's working or how it's not working or what's going to happen next or when it's going to happen. One day at a time, definitely one moment at a time, maybe one thing at a time more than usual. And the thing at a time right now is this podcast episode with my friend Nick Jaina. Nick is a fellow you're going to dire. I mean, he's going to die, uh, and and I am too, so we definitely have that in common, which just makes us fast friends. But uh, also, he works with you're going to die in many capacities, and the newest capacity is helping out with the podcast. So it made sense to have an episode with him, since it had always been a consideration anyway, because of his work, his writing. Um, his relationship to my community in creatively powerful ways, wonderfully inspiring ways. I always wonder about introductions for people, thinking about ways to talk about someone at the start of a show, presenting someone who deserves many accolades from a list of uh, Wikipedia articles, from a list of Wikipedia articles, and um, then I have this thing printed out, and I stand up there on stage, and I'm about to read it, and I usually 95% of the time crumple it up into a ball, throw it off to the side, and just talk about how much they mean to me. And Nick has been a presence at the open mics, first and foremost starting to play music at one of our Oakland open mics with Chelsea Coleman, who he's married to now. That was that was before they were married. Wow, that's wild. And since then, Nick has gone into San Quentin with us. He's supported our online movement since the pandemic started. And also, just personally, we've connected in, in ways you'll hear from our conversation today. So I don't present anybody unless... I feel like, and I've said this before, I feel like when I meet them and I see them do their thing, I think I want to be friends with them. Can we be friends? Can we have a barbecue? Please? And I felt that way about Nick. He's not only a writer, he's a musician. Uh, So that probably was my earliest connection to him. Nick also wrote a novel one of my favorite novels that I've read during the pandemic called Hitomi. And it came out this year and I'm talking with him for a lot of reasons, but one of those reasons is because of that book and how that book is about dealing with ambiguous grief and longing. I hope you enjoy this newest episode of you're going to die. The podcast as I have a conversation with Nick Jaina. I'm Ned Buskirk. 
Welcome, sit back, and enjoy. I guess first and foremost, I I think it's worth talking about your relationship with You're Going to Die, how you got introduced to You're Going to Die. But before we do that, I just wanted to ask you um, how you're doing. I'm doing really good. Uh, I, I, I've been getting three kinds of therapy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> body, mind, and spirit. I just, it's, it's all or nothing for me. So I've been going to a chiropractor, talk therapist, and an energy worker, and they're just they're just pounding on me, and I think they've finally broken through. <laughs> oh, they, they cracked open my my abalone shell, and uh, I, I see a glimmer of of of, of hope at least. We're, we're, so or, you're or saying my, that this my vessel for anxiety is bigger, is how I would say it. You know the, the the quandary that I find myself in that I know you do. Like any any sensitive artist who is trying to be more progressive, you learn more, you grow more, and you open yourself up to like, oh stuff has been terrible for a long time and more people have been hurting than I ever thought. And there's more evil that I ever thought of. And, and you know, like it, it gets harder the more you open, open yourself up and that can just feel like, oh, should I stop learning? <laughs> yeah. Should, should I stop uh, 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 opening myself up to marginalized communities and, and, and that pain? Um, that doesn't feel right. Uh, it's not even possible. And so if I can have a bigger vessel for anxiety as I hopefully grow more, it feels like I can actually be useful. I'm not just a puddle of, 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 of other people's tears that I've taken on. What has it been like to create meaning during this time for you as an artist and that sensitive person when you haven't had the place to go that you were going before the pandemic? It's like, uh, you know, a dog in the rain or, or you know, like a, a bird in a snowstorm. <laughs> you know, like it's so hard to orient yourself when all the compasses, all the directions that you had are just scrambled or gone. You know, for me, I, I, I don't even consider myself fundamentally a performer, but like so much of my life was based around, I'm going to write something. Uh, uh, like, for example, like I'm going to take the Bart to a You're Going to Die show at the Lost Church and write down a list of things that I'll read and get instant feedback from an audience of, oh, this is funnier than I thought, or this is more yeah. touching than I thought, or this didn't resonate with anybody at all. You know, um, that, that instant connection and that feedback is so vital. And then to just sit in the same room day after day, maybe get uh, inspired and write some things, maybe not, and just think like, you know, at the darkest point, it's like, what does it matter? What does it matter if I write something great or if I write something terrible or whatever? Like, I don't even know how to connect with an audience now. And 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 the occasional Zoom meeting or something like doesn't really do the same thing at all when I can't feel the vibrations in a room and I can't, you know, see somebody in the front row look over at their partner and, you know, I can't make eye contact with people in the same way. You know, it's all the in-between moments and like at the bar and you and you talk to somebody and you make a connection and afterwards you're hanging out and someone's smoking a cigarette and you walk them to their car. You know, like all of those things are so hard to replicate now. It's, it's beyond the show time, really, you know. And those little connections just even just like little validations of like, I see you and I, and I, and I know who you are and you matter. And like, 
I saw you last time and like, that's great, you're doing that. You know, like those things are so sustaining and to just remove a lot of those and to stare into the abyss of the social media algorithm and to never know, like, <laughs> did I, uh, did I, did I put the wrong uh, matrix in and I'm being like <laughs> beaten down because the algorithm decided we, we don't want uh, this kind of picture today. We don't want pictures of kale this week, you know, or, <laughs> you know, like it, it's you maddening. a lot of pictures of kale? It's like, maddening. No, because they don't want them. You know, it's maddening. You <laughs> know that that one's not getting accepted. Doesn't what fly. What the hell's wrong with kale? <laughs> no, but it's really maddening to like feel yeah. like I'm staring into a hall of mirrors and I don't know what the original iteration is you know it, yeah. it's really it's really <clears throat> it's really challenging I, i'm just speaking as a as a creator as a performer yeah you know? i mean that's so many I'm people asking frontline workers have have much harder lives i'm not i'm not claiming any of that hardship but like just for me to like uh, there's also people like my parents whose lives are 99 percent the same and yeah and haven't had, you know, they're retired. They have a pension. Mm -hmm. they, they go, they can, my dad can go still play golf. You know, like um, my fundamental like purpose in life, like several of them has been like temporarily long-term put on hold. And it just leaves me just like, what, what do I do? Like, what do I really do? I always had like four or five overwhelming projects to work on and, and life paths to do. I used to think like, I wish I had four or five other lives so I could go be a screenwriter. I know you're like this too. I wish I could like go try screenwriting in LA and like just, you know, go live in Vermont and write a, a novel for three years and, you know, like can't do everything. And now it's like, oh, what is there? What's the best thing to do? This might seem like a forced transition to <laughs> your average listener, but I do, it, it is something I feel pretty strongly, which is when I hear you describe that and also relate, you know, the ways that my own life has been impacted as a performer, as someone who, who yes, has multiple options for creative output and connecting to community and always down for trying out the next thing, having all that kind of curbed. Um, I wonder about the sort of lesson in there or how confronting it is to think about how this relates to moments when we have to let go and we're not allowed to be the thing that, that we've been or all the things we've been. And, and I, I, I actually very directly connect moments uh, that wait, await some of us on our deathbed where all the things we used to be, we aren't anymore. And I wonder how powerful we can be during times like that. And this, this pandemic for me seems like a forced experience or, or lesson or whatever it is in, in death. How do we, yeah. how do we be alive when we're not the alive that we've been for years and years and years? Yeah. That's my, that's my bridge to the death and dying conversation. And not just death, but like the, the three deaths that they talk about, you know, like, mm -hmm. like the end of your physical life and then the end of your reputation or, you know, like your, people knowing you and speaking of you not you know like like not that that's actually happening but like what i said with like those in between moments that you don't have i just have these moments where it just feels like this void of like do people remember me <laughs> you know like mm -hmm. do i still have not just like the 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 really good friends that i talk to every week but like those like in between friends that like i don't necessarily have a reason to reach out to but you know i would see them at a show or just run into them or something and like does that maintain? Does that carry on? It's it's hard to know, you know. I mean, it doesn't. 
things. I just did. That's just Wait, that's how do you that know? inevitable. You talked to them three. <laughs> I did. I my my interview prep with you was to talk to twenty or thirty of your kind of you're friends. Like, you're like, no, nope, doesn't ring a bell. <laughs> so I just wanted to confirm that with you on 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 our interview. Um, they've all forgotten about you. No, but I mean that it does happen no matter what. Eventually, and part oh, yeah, of what I yeah. feel like we're going through is this: like we're this thing. I'm getting triggered. Like, how do I matter now in a time, or at least in a culture that's constantly like, how do you matter? Post the kale. Did enough people like the kale? You know, that's your value. There it is. It's perfect. You got a hundred. You're 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 doing okay. And being in a place where that's just like you said, we're getting cornered into that, or some other ways of being. And I think it's there's some version of it that's healthy. There's some there's some way that I feel like it's it's got it's pregnant with possibility of finding presence of being. And I know. I mean, I want to be careful because of how how many people are hurt how hard this is for me, for you, but but for other people more, like you said, frontline workers. But I do wonder about the lessons in this for us, for life, where you sound like there's moments when you realize there's a freedom, because guess what? Like, all you have to do is make that dinner. You know, just like someday when we're on our deathbed, all we'll have to do is lay on that bed and be present and kind of get through pain or you know, the, the, the people visiting, whatever it is that that's in those final moments. Um, but that will be our aliveness or yep. potentially, and, yeah. and hopefully isn't suffering because we suddenly don't, we, we're, we're struggling with the fact that we're going away, you know, that we are yeah. that, that first death in the three. Yeah. It's just, it's just ego suffering, which is, it's painful, but it's, it's, it's just one thing, you know? And, yeah. and it's okay. Um, and yeah, you're right. It's good practice. Like we all need to figure that out and nobody escapes that, you know, like I know people who uh, could, you know, fill arenas with fans, you know, and yeah. they, they have to figure it out too. Like it doesn't matter if you had, you had more uh, juice before, whatever it is, like you still have to reckon with it. And that's also what death is. It doesn't matter how many things you acquire, how many awards you have on the deathbed, like you're, you have to figure it out, you know, yeah, or not, or let it go. Yeah. Do you feel like you're reckoning with it? Um, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Great. <laughs> and good. <laughs> Nick Jane, everybody. He's reckoning with <laughs> his inevitable demise. Sorry to interrupt everybody. I just wanted to pop in here and give us a minute to breathe and say a few words about the podcast. You're Going to Die is sponsored by nobody. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so yeah, we're sponsored by no one. That's kind of not true. We did get a grant from the Peck Foundation, and that really helped us get this thing started for which we are deeply grateful. But mostly the podcast is funded through the work our nonprofit is doing in the world, especially our events, and via listeners like you. So if you're feeling the podcast, a couple ways you can do to support it. One big way is to jump on iTunes and give us a worded rating, 
five stars if you feel it. And it's okay if it's not that much. But if you listen this far, it's got to be at least three. So maybe three to five stars and then a few words about why the podcast matters to you. That would be a huge help. And another way to support the podcast would be to share it with your friends and family or community or just online to the 80% of people that follow me on Facebook who you don't know. Like you literally could look through their names and faces and not understand where you ever met. But that would count as a version of sharing the podcast with people you don't know, but for whom you think the podcast might matter. Also... You can, I guess there's three ways. Did I say there's only two? There's countless ways to help. But another really great way to help is to donate to You're Going to Die. And we are a 501c3 nonprofit. So you can go to www.yg2d.com. That's the number two. And you can go there and click donate. That's the way to support more of what we're doing in the world, but definitely to help the podcast. And if you put a specific note with your donation or contribution, that you are giving this money towards the podcast, we will definitely only use it for that. But we also have a lot of other programming that we're doing in the world still somehow. Our prison program, Alive Inside, is active, doing letter writing with the men at San Quentin as often as we can. We also have our hospice program, which is actually still up and running, albeit online. And then, of course, all our events, our workshops. You can check out all that stuff at www.yg2d.com, and you can donate through that website. But I do think about how this can matter just for me here, starting with that. And if it's not doing that to begin with, then what's it worth to anybody eventually? So I'm present to that right now. While I'm feeling really glad that I even get to play around with this stuff that that our community over the years has supported this thing in a way that's reminded me that I need to keep doing it that I need to keep leaning in and showing up and the podcast is one of the newer ways I'm able to do that and so right now feeling present to that I feel a lot of gratitude but I feel aliveness and I feel how even talking right now while no one's listening, and it's not, I'm not even imagining you listening yet. I'm just talking maybe as if I'm listening to it and feeling myself be just right here in the moment as my little precious fragile flesh bag of a body sits and vibrates these noises out of me. Feeling my aliveness and my fragility and my breath in and out. And so then you might find that moment here in the middle of this podcast, hopefully all, all through it, but right now, remember, remember your mortality. and the access given to you when we contemplate that we're all going to die, that you're going to die, that I'm going to die. We really sit with that. All the things that life is made up of, 
all the things we have to do and get done that we're happy about and glad about, all the parts and pieces that make up who we are and what our lives are, that web blasting out into infinity. We're right in the middle of all of it now, and only now, and only for that moment, only for that moment in a long, infinite stretch in time and space outwards from us, and eventually it'll stop be a part of it in some other way but for now here we are me sitting in your ear canal on a little stone that fell in your ear many years ago a pebble and I'm just chatting into the cavern that goes deep into your head into your brain Thanks for listening today. Let's just give ourselves this moment for a little bit until Nick and I start talking again. For me, it's like, you know, I, I know we have some things similar in the sense of like, I, you know, I miss just like walking in the morning to a coffee shop and I don't even drink coffee and I don't even necessarily like talking to strangers, <laughs> but I do love going to a coffee shop, drinking a tea and writing around people and just hearing them talk mm-hmm. and like hearing the ching-a-ching of the door when someone comes in and like the breath of fresh air and like sort of look over at someone and just like imagine what their life is like and like just being in the world like that is is one of the still the things that I miss the most and as a writer as a creator that like energy flow of of things moving through has been the hardest um you know I I so I started Hitomi like the 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 week after Trump's inauguration you know February 2017 and it was hard to write in such a new area of like, do I acknowledge this in my book? You know, it's like a book that takes place sort of in present tense. It's, it's not specific, but like, if it comes up, do I mention who's president? Do I <laughs> talk about mm-hmm. these things? And that's so hard to like find a place to do that to where it doesn't, isn't gonna feel dated if he's suddenly impeached or if he suddenly becomes dictator for life, you know? And so 
again, we're in another situation that's like, are, are we going to be like a year from now? Or are we going to just be like carefree again and, and laughing about this? Or, you know, is it going to be a drag to, to hear about like masks and stuff? And so possibly as a reaction to that, I'm, I'm just writing back in time, like back in the 90s. Mm. Like I'm writing a story that takes place when I was a teenager, you know? Mm. And yeah. it just solves all of those questions of like, I don't have to engage with this. Are these people wearing masks? Are they, <laughs> you know, yeah. where are we in the pandemic in the story? It's just like, no, it's before, before all that, you know? Yeah. Is it, yeah. Is it offering kind of an escape then? Does your writing ever feel that way anyway? Oh, yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, and an escape with like, uh, you know, with fiction, it's the escape of like, I know these people, these fictional people, they come to life and I'm the only one who knows them. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's not like a selfish ego thing. It's like a honor. Like I always feel so honored. Like, I, I, I don't know, maybe that sounds pretentious, but it really is just like channeling, like, like, like if you contact a, a, a deceased person and you're the only one who contacted them, it's like, I feel so lucky to get to know these people and to get to spend time with them. And it's like this secret little group of people. And, and I have this great responsibility to uh, get to know them as well as I can and to represent them and to, you know, the, the, the ways that I lost sleep over writing that novel all dealt with, I hope I'm doing these people justice, you know, which is, it's funny to think about like fictional people, like, but like they really, if you're doing it right, they really feel like real people that if you, if you mess up their story, if you turn them into a, a stereotype, um, if you phone it in for even a week, they're going to be upset because they, this is their one chance to be heard by the world. And you're the stenographer and you know, don't, don't just use a cliche. Don't just use a generalization, like really listen to them, you know? So that's, that's like the true honor of writing. And that's what's, that's the escape too. Um, I want to ask you what, a what is it, about this is kind of like the play with death like how do you inform a moment of death and dying and that kind of loss out of your life another version of that question is to bring it back to why we know each other and your relationship with me having met through you're going to die what is it about you and your relationship with death and dying and mortality and maybe you know creative expression certainly that brought you into uh into my life through you're going to die. Like what drew, what, what about you draws you to you're going to die? It's funny because all the people- I asked you two pretty, I wanna be clear that there's two questions in there that might have very different answers and might not relate, but I'm wondering if you can play with a way that they do relate. The first question is that like, how do you inform the death and dying and mortality aspect, especially death and dying and loss and grief? And then what about you drew you to you're going to die? Well, a central part of the story that I wrote was a situation where some, a, someone's loved one disappears with no indication of what's happening. And there's just that ambiguous grief of, do I mourn? Do I hold out hope? Do I call the police? Or do I hire a detective? You know, like that thing of where you, you have no indication and you don't know what to do. And do, am I, is it okay that I laugh? Is it okay that I go on tour and have fun, you know? And I wrote, I started writing that story with no personal experience of that. And then I met Chelsea, who also is a part of You're Gonna Die. And she had a very close personal iteration of that story. Right. And I actually interviewed her 
right when we first met, before we started dating, she's now my wife, um, as you know, <laughs> telling the audience. I do know that. Um, it's uh, true, everybody. One of the first phone calls we had was me interviewing her about her sister who was lost at the time and, or missing, about that situation of like, am I getting this right? Is this believable? And so it's a weird thing of like, why was I writing that story? Why was I drawn to that? I had no personal history with that. And when I sit in the audience of You're Gonna Die so many times, I think, God, one time I'd like to get up and do what my favorite share is at You're Gonna Die, which is when someone sits down, they breathe deep and they say, I don't know what I'm gonna say, but I have cancer, you know, like, or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, I always come with a song or a thing that I've written, which is fine, it's needed too. But like, there's a time where I'm like, would I ever get up and just share like that? And I, I don't have, you know, that history of loss. I don't have that, that experience with death that so many of the people at those shows have. And so I feel like, why am I so drawn to it? I, I, I think it's like, you know, past life stuff and, and like deeper generational uh, connections with that more so than like my own terrestrial life. Um, but to me in the story, the, the thing that I was writing was that, that ambiguous grief, grief to me is like the flip side of the coin of this like unrequited obsession of love, you know? Like they're both like these things that like an unbalanced equation, I can never solve it. It's always turning over in my head. I don't have enough information to ever make it right, but I can't let go of it. I have to keep working on it. And so that the character in the book is stuck in both of those things and maybe one is feeding into the other, but I think that those go to that same place. And so I've always been drawn to, um, I, th I feel like it's because I was, I, I watched Princess Bride as a kid, like, um, you know, like <laughs> true love, just that idea of true love and as you yeah. wish and like that idea of love that is just inexplicable. We never even talked and it's not physical, it's not lust, it's just this cosmic love. I've been so drawn to that and I think that is the flip side of this coin of that um, injustice of losing someone early or just like, how, why did this happen? How How is life so cruel? I feel like those are the same same thing, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It makes sense to take a moment to share some of your words, some of your writing. Um, before we play it, though, do you want to introduce it or say anything about it? Um, yeah, this is a selection from Hitomi uh, uh, that uh, I think it connects with death. It, it's, a, it's particularly about sleep, but I feel like... Um, sleep is like a practice for death, like a, like a way to understand a little bit what it means to, to diminish the edges and, and sand off your ego and stuff. And so um, this is a bit of what I do when I perform, uh, you know, when I play m music shows, I always have reading and I play guitar and, and loop it underneath so I have my soundtrack. So this is a, a little snippet of, of what I do. Well, it's real lovely. I'm glad that we get to share it with the listeners today. Um, thanks for being on with me here, Nick. Everybody, take a listen to What is Sleep?
What is sleep? Why do we have to do it? Why do we go crazy if we don't? Is it our brain's way of returning to the ground? Are the neurons like roots that want to sink into the dirt and soak up something real? Is it a bath for our ego? A time when it can chill out and not have to worry? Is it a playground for our id? A cutting of the leash that ties it to sanity? A ticket on a roller coaster that constantly runs off the tracks? Is it a timeout from figuring things out? A pause in the constant calculations? A moment apart from knowledge and rules and customs? Is it a dive into the ocean of the subconscious? Where whales who are invisible from the surface are now so big and present and obvious that we have to deal with them somehow? Is it cracking the ice, reaching into our reflection, abandoning reason? Is it a temporary form of suicide? Is it an embrace with a lover who will always let us go back home every morning until the one time he doesn't? Is it personal to you? Is it anything like mine? Could we ever meet in our dreams away from judging eyes and play games in peace? Will we ever figure it out, get enough of it, grow tired of it? What would it even mean to get tired of sleep? If I could have a journal of everything I've ever seen in my dreams, would it look like some insane person's confiscated writings found in a Honda Civic in a junkyard in New York somewhere? If I can fly in my dreams, why doesn't it work when I'm awake? Is gravity different in dreamland? Why do we sleep? Thank God we get to, but really, why? Well, thanks for listening, everybody, to another episode of You're Going to Die, the podcast. If you want to find out more about what we're up to, just go to www.yg2d.com and get all the things there. And as I said earlier in the episode, super helpful. Review us through iTunes. Give us some stars and some words, especially if it was good for you to listen. If it wasn't good for you, I want you to let everything go now and never listen again, but please don't leave a bad review. (laughs) And also share this show, this episode, and the episode in general, and the show in general, with your community on social media or whatever. Mail them a letter. I don't know how you do it, but that would be awesome. And lastly... Uh, Yeah, you can support YG2D in general, the 501c3 profit that we are with our events and programming. Uh, You can support us by donating, and you can support the podcast by doing the same. So you can do that through the website, too. So I want to say 
Thank you to Nick for joining. Nick Jana. You can check more of his being at nickjana.com. It'll be in the show notes. I'm not going to spell it out. It's N-I-C-K-J-A-I-N-A.com. You remember the beginning of a website, too. I'm not going to repeat that part. I want to I say thanks to Nick for being a part of the episode, but also starting up the support of the episode. Producer. Producer credits. And who else do I need to thank? I need to thank Scott Ferreter for all his work that he's put into the podcast and any work that he's going to put into the podcast moving forward. He is a source of inspiration, and i um, super glad to have him in my life. And biggest, biggest thanks to him for the theme song. I'm not going to say this in every episode, but it feels worth mentioning again. That's Scott's baby. He did it with EO, uh, his friend, my friend. And singing on that is Morgan Bolender, Chelsea Coleman, and Jordan Adelheit, and myself. It's going to start here in a second. It might already be playing. I don't know. I'm not the sound engineer. But when you hear the singing, that's us, all you're going to dyers, doing the things we need to do uh, while we're alive to do them. And who else? I know there's someone I'm forgetting to thank right now, and I'm going to regret every moment of it later. But I want to thank all of you for listening. And if I miss anybody, check the show notes. I promise to catch it there. All right, everybody. Until next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.